0: It's hard to despise somebody when you're on your knees praying for them. That's Jesus' way to deal with difficult people. You can't do this on your own strength. You've got to daily go to the Lord and say, you empower me to love these difficult people.
1: Praying for those who persecute. This is Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. For the last several broadcasts, we've been looking at the wisdom found in the sixth chapter of the Gospel of Luke. If you've missed any of these programs, they can be replayed from our website, momentsofhopechurch.org. But today, David concludes this study called Difficult People.
0: If you think you can love your enemies and those who've hurt you and your home strength, you're kidding yourselves. It will take a supernatural empowering of the Holy Spirit through the gospel being received in your heart to give you the ability to love other people like this. In other words, Jesus, who lives in you, is going to have to love through you these difficult people. You can't do this on your own strength. You've got to daily go to the Lord and say, you empower me to love these difficult people. So there's seven ways Jesus says love your enemies. Let me go through them for you right now. First of all, he said, do good to those who hate you. In other words, don't retaliate. If, if I've forgiven you, the essence of forgiveness is you refuse to retaliate against the person who hurt you. And it's only because, folks, whenever you retaliate, you up the retaliation backlash. And then when they retaliate with a little more anger against you, then you've got to retaliate with just a little more anger back. And eventually, somebody's going to get seriously hurt. That's what happens in domestic violence. And Jesus said, don't do that. Do good to those who hate you. Paul said in Romans twelve seventeen, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. Don't, don't repay evil with evil. Repay evil with good. It's interesting to me that Dr. Graham's probably most embarrassing moment publicly was when the Watergate tapes were released. Dr. Graham was noted as the pastor to the presidents, and from Truman to Eisenhower to Kennedy to Nixon even those beyond, he had a special relationship with. They invited him in, I think, for two reasons. One, he was a man of great, deep integrity, and secondly, he had a spiritual life about him that people wanted to drink from. But when the Watergate tapes were released that Nixon had recorded secretively, it revealed a side of Nixon that Billy Graham never saw. His language was foul, his abuse of people was awful, how he said he lived his faith as a faithful Quaker was nowhere near how he lived out his life and spoke. It was embarrassing. In fact, Ruth had warned Billy sometime earlier, be careful, and this is true for any person like myself or even any of you who have spiritual giftings in your life, be careful about nuzzling up to power. And I've had to learn this. Politicians love my favored arm around them And they'll do then what they want to do. And that's why I have never cozied up to politicians. I've been their friend. When they ask me my opinion, I tell them. And when I think they're wrong, they hear from me. But the truth is, if you cozy up to power, you can never speak prophetically to power. That's why I'm a registered independent, folks, for those of you who want to know. I think both parties need Jesus. And I speak prophetically to both parties that need the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the only hope for America. It is. Do you know how Billy Graham responded to those tapes? He did good to Nixon. Never demeaned him. Continued to love him. Because that's what Jesus did to us, isn't it? Secondly, bless those who curse you with difficult people. The word bless means something spoken, right? So for those people who've hurt us or those difficult people in our lives, don't speak ill of them. Don't curse them. That's all a curse is. You hope with your words something bad happens to them. Bless them with your words. What's the best way you can bless other people with your words? To pray for them. Pretty much like what Jesus said: "Bless those who curse you." Number three: Pray for those who abuse you. Now, this is not saying that you're supposed to stay in an abusive relationship. Jesus is not teaching that. If if you have someone really hurt you and strike you and abuse you, you're not supposed to stay in that relationship. But He did say you can pray for those who abuse you. You know, in 2008, Dr. Graham was aging. He was about 88, 89 at that point. And he was in an interview and his voice was crackling and uh, that was unusual because he had such a strong voice. But the person interviewing him asked the question, Dr. Graham, if you would counsel Christians today, what would you tell them to do? He said, "I I would give them one piece of advice that I think I didn't do as well as I should have. And the person asked, what's that? And he said, I'd pray more. Let me ask you something, folks. Do you believe prayer moves the hands of God? A lot of people tell me they pray. When I really delve, they don't pray. It's kind of a blessing, be with me, Lord. But I'm talking about getting on your knees and imploring the God of this universe to use the power of prayer he promised all of his people. Prayer moves the hands of God. And those of us who believe in the power of the gospel should be on our knees, especially praying for those in our families and neighborhoods who don't believe. And may I adjure you, please start inviting your friends. Is there one person who will be in heaven because of your belief in the gospel of Jesus Christ? If so, it's most often preceded by the power of prayer. So amazingly, that enemy, that difficult person, if you'll just start praying for them, It's hard to hate somebody when you're praying for them. It's hard to despise somebody when you're on your knees praying for them. That's Jesus' way to deal with difficult people. Then he said, turn the other cheek. Turn the other cheek. Now, that's not talking about somebody hits you, turn the cheek to let them hit the other cheek. It's not talking about whether a government or a military or even you personally should defend yourself against someone who's attacking you. I'm telling you something. If somebody comes after my wife and my kids, they're going to deal with me in the name of Jesus, right? But this is talking about when somebody insults you. The slap on the cheek is the backhand ultimate influence. Uh, insult, excuse me. It's the ultimate insult. So if somebody really insults you, Jesus is saying in another way, Don't respond in retaliation. Don't do that. And Dr. Graham had to deal with that all the time. In the 1950s, amidst America's segregation, Dr. King became very close friends with Martin Luther King. They were close, close friends. Did did you know how Billy Graham ultimately came to faith in Jesus? an evangelist came to town named mordecai ham and he preached the gospel and he left town so discouraged only one person received jesus he thought oh man i was such a failure that one person's name was billy graham was he a failure why is the church obsessed with numbers when does god ever need numbers to prove his spirit's moving Mordecai Ham's one salvation preached to 200 million people. He was the greatest success possible. And Dr. Graham understood the power of the gospel, which was not only internally, but it was also to bring people of all different colors together. And that's why he and Dr. Martin Luther King became such good friends. And Billy Graham went around his crusades and said, in the South, where segregation sadly still existed, he said, unless you open up the crusades to African-Americans and people of all colors, I'm not gonna bring my crusade to your city. He got blasted from prejudiced crackers in the name of Jesus. <laughs> and he was vilified by people. And do you know what he did? He turned the other cheek. He refused to retaliate. He would not take on their insults. And eventually, city after city after city, opened doors to Dr. Billy Graham. And Martin Luther King would say, the chief prime mover in the civil rights movement was not me, but was Dr. Billy Graham. Before I started my marches, Dr. Billy Graham brought people together in love. Then he says, give to everyone who asks. Now, some of you are immediately saying, does that mean I give to the panhandler who's on the streets begging for money, who's at the interstate intersection? That's not what Jesus is saying. He's not addressing panhandling. You know, in fact, Tony Marciano, who's one of the heads of um, one of the rescue missions here in town, says, just buy a bunch of McDonald's or Burger King cards, and when you see those people, give that to them, if you're really that concerned for them. My wife, if she was here, would say, if you feel led to give some money, give some money. That's fine. Just remember, if they go use it for alcohol, that's their problem. they got to answer to the Lord. Now, Tony would say, don't even do that. But Jesus isn't addressing panhandlers here. He's addressing the whole idea of generosity that his followers filled with his gospel who truly love him are very generous people. In fact, I was speaking in Montreat, North Carolina one time years ago, and Anne, Graham Lotz, was there. Marilyn was with me, and she called down to Montreat, got me, and said, why don't you and Marilyn come up to the house and spend the afternoon with me and mom? Dad's aw- Daddy's away. I always called him daddy. <laughs> He's on a crusade, but if you, y'all you would like to come up and spend the afternoon with us, that'd be great. So we did, drove this winding trail up to their little house in Montreat. Here's the first thing that hit us, folks. Here's this man who had this massive ministry preaching to millions of people, and his house was so modest, so modest. Only in America do people make millions of dollars off of storage units, because we've got stuff that we don't need so stuck in a closet or in a storage unit. And I went to Dr. Graham's house. It was so modest. We had the afternoon with Ruth and Ann and we kept asking him why so modest? They kept saying, so we can give more money away. Give to those who ask. Number six, give to those who ask. Proverbs 21, six, all day long, he craves and craves, but the righteous gives and does not hold back. Psalm 37, 21, from the lips of David, the wicked borrow but does not pay back, but the righteous is generous and gives. From the writings of Solomon and David, Billy Graham practiced that. He just tried to give to everyone who asked and and tried to be a model of generosity. And, And when you are, difficult people notice that, especially when you're generous to them and they don't deserve it. He also said, give your cloak and your tunic too. Uh, the, the cloak was like our overcoat. The tunic was like our shirt. And Jesus said, Hey, if somebody asks for your cloak, give it to them. If they ask for your shirt, give it to them too. And it was just an example of how to be generous. When you're generous to difficult people, it's hard not to be generous in return. And then, and then finally, he said, Do unto others as you'd want done to you. And notice that it's not do not. Religion is do not. Religion is mere moralism. The Christian faith is do. You do because what's been done for you on the cross, but you do, it's action. It's a new life that Jesus creates in you. And and the way you're supposed to live is by putting yourself in somebody else's skin and saying, I'll do to you as I would want done to me. The golden rule. And it can solve any problem with the power of the gospel. It can solve your marriages. I'll never forget that afternoon, Ruth Bell Graham looked at Marilyn and said, yeah, Billy and I figured out two things about marriage. One is 50% of my time with him is better than 100% of my time with somebody else. She said, secondly, I figured out the way we have a successful marriage is we're two great forgivers. Like I said, something happened in my heart this week. Stephen Covey, the leadership guru, once said that a key to leadership is the main thing is to make the main thing the main thing. Folks, the main thing for the Christian church, the main thing for Christians is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation. And the most important thing is to make sure you're in heaven. The other alternative is not much fun. Are you going to go to heaven? And the only way you do it is through Jesus, who died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. When you enter heaven, the question that you're going to have to answer is Are you forgiven? Are you forgiven? And if you're not forgiven, you need to deal with that right now. You need to give your life to Jesus and take care of the death issue. Covey also said one time, leadership should begin with the end in mind. Christians, begin with the end in mind. Solve the death problem, and shootings in school aren't quite as intense as they might be. Though they're horrible, they're awful. But if you know your death issue's been settled, and you're going to go to a place that's beautiful and wonderful, the rest of life can be enjoyed to the full. Are you forgiven? That's the issue. And you're either forgiven by what you do, Or what's been done for you? Dr. Graham was asked this question. He said, When you get to heaven, what's the first thing you're gonna say to God? He said, Here's my answer Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Then the question was asked, Well, Dr. Graham, what do you think God will then say to you? And he said, I know. He'll say two things. One, you're forgiven. Two, Well done, good and faithful servant. Have you received Jesus as your Lord and Savior? That's the message. It's the main thing that the church must be about. The evidence of that, once you've given your life to Jesus, is to love your neighbor, to love even difficult people. And then you're willing to also take the step of baptism. What's baptism? It is the decision to go in the water and then go under it, which is symbolic of death to self. I'm dying to self. I'm dying to my way. And then coming out of the water is being raised to that new life in Christ. There are two kinds of people in the world. You're either in Adam or in Christ. You're in your sins or you're in forgiveness. That's it, nothing in between. And baptism is the evidence that you're dying to self and you're now in Christ. And as Dr. Graham experienced this past week, as Jesus was raised from the dead, if you're in Christ and he's in you, where he goes, you go. And that means if you believe in Jesus when you die, it's simply the entrance into heaven. I can't wait, I really can. I I, I just can't wait to see my loved ones and Dr. Graham again, I just can't wait. But you've gotta make that decision. Nobody can make it for you, are you saved? Have you been forgiven of your sins? Baptism's the evidence of it. Because Jesus said, repent and be baptized. You don't have to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, but it's the evidence your sins have been forgiven. It's not essential for eternal life, it's efficacious for eternal life.
1: You're listening to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Thanks for listening. Coming up, David joins me in the studio in a conversation about finding new ways to love our enemies. Stay with us, we'll be right back.
2: Hi, I'm Tony Marciano, President and CEO of Charlotte Rescue Mission. Let me ask you a question. What do you do when you stand at the intersection of homelessness and addiction? Let me put you in that person's shoes for just a second. What is it that you really need? You've probably been one of the individuals who stood at the end of the interstate ramp, holding a sign that said, hungry, will work for food. But you never used the money for food. You bought booze and drugs with it. And most likely, you hate your life. Your addiction has stolen every aspect of hope. You want to be part of the fabric of society, but every morning your addiction screams and you surrender to it. There is one thing you do need, and that is transformation. The place to go is Charlotte Rescue Mission. Charlotte Rescue Mission works from the inside out to address the root cause of someone at the crossroads of addiction and homelessness. The Rescue Mission provides free, Christian, residential, high-quality substance abuse recovery programs to members of our community who otherwise would not be able to afford such services. With a passion for holistic transformation and a love for Christ, the mission's 120-day program has transformed the lives of thousands of men and women in our community. Charlotte Rescue Mission is grateful for the financial partnership of Moments of Hope Church.
1: I'm Jen Houston, thanks for listening today. Joining me in the studio is our pastor, David Chadwick. David, thank you so much for being with us today. Yes,
0: Jen, it's my pleasure. It's great to be with you as well.
1: In this morning's E-Devotion, you wrote an interesting piece about new ways for us to love our enemies. Will you elaborate on this for us?
0: I will. The actual Davidism comes from my dad's sage advice he gave me years ago when I was trying to deal with some critics and people who didn't like me. He said, son, if you can, as much as is possible, as it depends on you get so close they can't kick you get so close they can't kick you. Now, what in the world did Dad mean by that? He was trying to say what Jesus would want more than anything else is for us not to lose friendships, but to try to restore as many as we possibly can. Mm-hmm. So when we bump with people and there's friction and they may become critics of ours, Dad was suggesting that instead of totally removing yourself immediately from them, try to move toward them. Mm-hmm. Try to forgive them. Try to love your enemies, Matthew five forty four. Jesus comes command. And as you then can move toward them, they just might change their friction and attitudes of negativism toward you to love and mercy themselves toward you. And then you've not lost a friend, you've gained a friend by getting so close to them, they can't kick you.
1: This has to be supernatural because in my mind, I'm like, hmm, do I have an example where I have done that? And I'm like, no, I need God to help me in this area. This is hard. It is
0: hard. And the whole idea of loving your enemies is hard. Yeah. Praying for your persecutors is hard. Yeah. The whole idea of leaving vengeance to God is so hard, but it is a clear teaching in the scripture that we can't get around. God wants us to learn how to love people, not mm-hmm. hate people. And Jesus himself said God pours out the rain, blessings upon the just and the unjust. That mm-hmm. he even loves the unjust. It's an example for us to try to do the same. But then, Jen, that begs the question, but what happens if you're in a destructive relationship and that person is continually hurting you? And even when you try to get so close, they can't kick you. They continue to kick you. Mm -hmm. There is a point where I think it's appropriate to move away for your own self protection. You know, Paul said in Romans 12 that as much as is possible, as depends upon you live at peace with one another. Mm -hmm. I always love that whole idea as much as is possible and as much as it depends on you. You try to do what you can do to live with peace with other people, but it just may be that they don't want it. They could be irascibly negative people who just love to hurt. At that case, it is most appropriate to move away from them and say, nope, I'm not going to let you hurt me anymore. Mm. If you can save the relationship, you certainly try, but if you need to self-protect for your own preservation, that's okay as well.
1: I think that's really good to define that and delineate between a healthy connection and an unhealthy connection. That's really important.
0: Drawing boundaries around yourself when someone is emotionally and especially physically abusive, it is quite appropriate to separate yourself for protection and to draw clear boundaries and say to that person, if need be, I'm not letting you get near me again until I see over time a repentance in your life mm-hmm. where where there has been obvious life change, and then I can begin to have a relationship with you again. But until that happens, no.
1: Yeah, I think that's really good. I think that's really good for Christians to hear that healthy boundaries are, are attainable. You can have healthy boundaries in your life, and you're not shunning people because, you know, you want to love unconditionally and and pour out love to people. So this has been really insightful. Well,
0: hope so, Jen, because all of us live in relationships with other people. Mm -hmm. And listeners, if you would like a copy of these daily written Moments of Hope, go to momentsofhopechurch.org. You can subscribe. there free of charge. They'll arrive in your inbox every morning at 7 a.m. from my heart to yours to give you a moment of hope.
1: This has been Moments of Hope with David Chadwick, Senior Pastor of Moments of Hope Church. We would love to have you join us for worship this Sunday morning. We meet at Providence Day School located at 5800 Sardis Road in South Charlotte at 10 a.m. You can find more information on our website, momentsofhopechurch.org. Again, come join us Sunday morning at 10 a.m. at Providence Day School, located at 5800 Sardis Road in South Charlotte. Our web address is momentsofhopechurch.org. For David and the entire Moments of Hope Church staff, this is Jen Houston asking you to pray for the leaders in our city.